This is BYU Sports Nation, brought to you by the BYU Store, simulcast on BYU-TV and BYU-Radio. Now, from Studio B, here's Spencer Linton and Jerem Jordan. BYU Sports Nation is live, your day-to-day play-by-play in Studio B, presented by the BYU Store, official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Tuesday, June 2nd, wherever and however you're connected, Great to have you with us. I am Spencer Linton, teamed up with the man who can certainly appreciate a great show lineup, which we have today, Jerem Jordan. Yeah, I'm excited about today's show. Uh, we're going to talk to the the doctor, the reverend, the author, the the cornerback, Derwin Gray, one of my uh, favorite guys. We love him. Yeah, former BYU football standout, a man who loves Provo and BYU at another level. He will join us with insight into how we all can be about change following recent dramatic and tragic events in our great country. Plus, the best to wear it gets significantly swaggy at number 21. Brian Bennett, college basketball writer from The Athletic, has some good news for BYU fans, at least he thinks so. And the top five Jamal Williams plays at BYU. That said, here are today's BYU Sports Nation headlines. BYU and the BYU Athletic Department released statements regarding racism yesterday. Quote, as an athletic department, we are aligned with BYU and the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints to stand against racism and violence in any form and are committed to promoting a culture of safety, kindness, respect, and love. We pledge our commitment to join with collegiate athletic departments across the country to enact positive change and foster a fundamental respect for the dignity of every human soul. End quote. In a portion of his own statement, BYU President Kevin J. Worthen said the following, quote, It will take sustained effort from all of us to make things better. We remain committed to doing that. BYU stands firmly against racism and violence in any form and is committing, committed to promoting a culture of safety, kindness, respect, and love, end quote. The West Coast Conference has announced the 2020-2021 Men's Basketball Conference matchups. Dates and times will be announced at a later date, but we know which teams BYU will only face once instead of the traditional home and road with each conference opponent every season. The Cougars will play Santa Clara in Provo and then at LMU in Los Angeles. Every other team they will face twice. ESPN releases a list of the top 40 quarterbacks in several tiers college football. BYU's Zach Wilson not on the list. 2019 Wilson threw for 2,382 yards, 11 touchdowns, 9 picks, rushed for 167 yards and 3 touchdowns as well. Should he have been on the list? We will discuss in what's trending. How about this? More group of five conferences are making budget cuts in light of COVID-19 repercussions by limiting or canceling games and postseason tournaments across several sports. Specifically, the Mountain West Conference is eliminating postseason tournaments in baseball, men's and women's tennis, and women's soccer. Friend of the program, Brett McMurphy, tweeted that Conference USA will reduce men's and women's basketball tournaments from 12 to eight teams and reduce the number of regular season and postseason games. Makes you wonder how much more of this we're going to see from other group of five conferences as we push forward in the next few months. I don't think uh, the WCC has, I guess, as big of an issue in terms of they don't have a lot of postseason tournaments. The baseball tournament is four teams, right, of the eight or so that field the baseball team. Um, perhaps there's nine or ten. I could be off on that. But there's not a soccer or volleyball postseason tournament and whatnot, or even softball. So... No need to cut what you don't already have. Yeah, and there are other sports at BYU that are prominent that are in the MPSF and yeah. in the Mountain Rim Gymnastics Conference. Yeah. So not sure how much it will affect the Cougars specifically. All rise and shout. It's time for What's Trending. 
You're talking about it, and so are we. It's what's trending on BYU Sports Nation. We know the foe for BYU basketball, or I should say know the foes for BYU basketball. The Cougars, as we just reported, will play every team in the West Coast Conference and men's basketball twice, except for Santa Clara. What's up, Herb Sendek? And BYU will play one game at LMU. Jeremy was, yeah. Yeah, Herb, 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 Herb's our guy. Herb. We yeah. like Herb. Oh, dude, Herb. Not and Herb. Herb. Herb, yes. Do you still like the idea of a 16-game West Coast Conference schedule? Yes. At first, I thought, what is Gonzaga, a.k.a. the league, doing with this? But now I love it. I, I think it's really smart because you avoid some bad resume games. The point of the season is for the league to get as many bids into the NCAA tournament, right? That is the end game. And for Gonzaga, for them to want to be a one seed, they're not in the business of just getting into the tournament, winning a couple games anymore. They're in the business of being the number one overall seed and the best team in college basketball and winning the national championship. This is good for BYU as well because you eliminate bad games. So look at what you just said. Santa Clara at home, LMU on the road. That means Santa Clara, based on last year's net, let's just assume that it's similar, that Santa Clara is a similar team, that LMU is a similar team. Santa Clara would mean BYU is avoiding a road quad three game. And LMU, at home, they're not going to play that game, would be a quad four game. BYU is losing two worthless games on the schedule, which is great. They can now replace it with perhaps meaningful games that could be quad one or quad two, hopefully. Hopefully they don't replace them with quad three and four because that would be the same thing. So I like it. I like what the commish, a.k.a. Mark Few, has done with this. I joke. But... Gonzaga wanted this, and I think this is a good thing for the upper crust of the league. Yes, and is there like a lottery based on results in the West Coast Conference? They explained in the release how it works. Yeah. Yeah. So Gonzaga should it's have not a lot. They, it's not a lottery. Yeah. Gonzaga should have what they want. I joke. Gonzaga's going to have what they want, right? Yeah. Uh, th- this is to help the Zags, who are a <laughs> the highest major, as you said yesterday. Well, they're better than a lot of... <laughs> They're a top five program. They're, They're a power five team yeah. in the West Coast Conference. They're the power one in this league. But this benefits teams like BYU and St. Mary's as long as BYU and St. Mary's are willing to follow the scheduling suggestions that the NCAA Selection Committee have put out there. And it was to BYU's benefit last year. Yes. How does BYU take advantage of an additional two non-conference games? They did this last year. Exactly. They played a quality schedule. I would imagine that BYU has the same plan moving forward. Why would you not? If you want to be in the at-large conversation, and guess what? Uh, You kind of have to be searching that out if you play in the same league as Gonzaga because the Zags are going to win the auto bid most years. Yeah. One of these times, BYU is going to get it in Vegas. But yeah. who, who knows Who knows when? But you just can't bank on that. So you got to yeah. put together a resume and a schedule that's going to impress the selection committee. If that's your goal. As that's, an at-large. That's not actually the end game for the other seven teams in the league. No. They're talking not about gonna, BYU specifically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like Pacific is like, let's get 20 wins. Damon Sotomayor will get coach of the year. Yay. That's like the, that's the end game. Hopefully we can make the NIT. You know, that that. That's the existence of the other seven. That's just what they're hoping to do. San Francisco, good program, right? Building, quality. It's, this, is a, this is a league that hopes to get three in. And Gonzaga, I think, did it for them, but it, I think it's been beneficial to BYU and St. Mary's as well. We've seen St. Mary's is trying harder in the non-conference schedule. We've given them a very hard time the last several years, and they deserve it. 
And they were better in the non-con this year of trying to play better teams because they get it. They won 27, 28 games a couple years ago and didn't get in. Yeah, because they were not willing to go out and schedule teams. This Utah is State no-brainer. did this with Stu Morrill several years ago. They had a season like that where they won a ton of games and didn't get in. This is it's a different. no-brainer. This is like saying, do you like cookies with real sugar in them or do you like cookies with fake sugar in so them? So keep going down that road then. Should it at some point go to a 14-game schedule? Should it go beyond this? Well, at 16, BYU... And St. Mary's and Gonzaga only got into the NCAA tournament, all three, one time previously since BYU joined the conference, 2012. They go to a 16-team schedule. first year. And voila, three teams are going to be in the NCAA tournament until a pandemic hits. I I think it's part of the reason. Yeah. Not the reason, but... It makes a difference. Probably helped. Like, the fact that you had, like, I don't know, Jordan Ford and Yoli Childs on those teams helped as well. Okay, topic two. Should Zach Wilson have been on the ESPN QB tiers list of about 40 quarterbacks? I love Zach Wilson, but no, based on what happened in the recent past. BYU started three different quarterbacks last year. Zach was dealing with shoulder surgery and a broken thumb. Jaron Hall came in and started multiple games. Baylor Romney started multiple games. There was just too much quarterback change for national writers to be like, yeah, that one guy. They're probably not even sure. Who's going to start at BYU? In fact, we're hearing from the coaches, though we think it's going to be Zach Wilson. We're hearing from the coaches, it's an open race as we go into this. So, it's a no, nice phrase. It shouldn't be Zach Wilson. Zach's going to be the starter, and I think he's going to be great. And, in fact, I'm glad he's not on this list. The less preseason hype for who I think is going to be a great quarterback, Zach Wilson, the better. Let him just go out on the field, do Oh, we're going to have to change our entire philosophy of this show Work then. with John Beck, work with Tom <laughs> House, work, with, work in and around all of those NFL quarterbacks that are training in the same area. This offseason is going to be great for Zach Wilson, and the less hype, the better. No, he shouldn't be on this list, and that's not a problem at all. In fact, I love it. I love it. Let's slow down. Let's slow down things just a little bit. Like I said earlier, I'm not ready to put on the uh, conductor's hat. I'm happy to ride the hype train for BYU football, but I'm not driving it, man, and I'm okay with that. Zach Wilson does not deserve to be on this list. Last season, he was not a top 40 quarterback, and I anticipate that by the end of this season, you and I feel this way. I, I can speak for this. He will be. He, w- that he will be, right? Last season, let's break it down. Let me, give you, let me give you the stat that sticks out the most. Four and five as a starter. One of those wins was Idaho State. Okay? That's not good enough. Tennessee and USC were really, really good wins. Those are amazing. You know, it, it's this close to being, you know, losses. Like, those were clutch plays. Awesome. Then he breaks his thumb. Yep. Idaho State and UMass are two of those four wins. Okay? How about Toledo, San Diego State, Hawaii? Win two of those three next time, right? He... We saw him progress. Like the, the USC game, I, I've said, is the template for what he can do. Tennessee, he makes plays at the end of the game, which was whew, the last second awesome. Perhaps earlier in the game, you don't need the dramatics if you do it. Whatever. Zach Wilson is a good player. He's going to become a good player. But those stats, 11 touchdowns, 9 picks. He had 3 lost fumbles, by the way. So rushing and passing, 14 touchdowns, 12 turnovers. That, that's not top 40 uh, kind of stats, but he, he passed for 264 a game. That's a solid number. We're not in the throw for 300 era of BYU football anymore. We're in the throw for 250 era and hopefully rush for uh, 200 era. Okay. It's a little different. Zach Wilson is going to make a jump. He really is. I know everyone's tired of hearing about Zach Wilson, but that's what happens when you start a guy midway through his freshman year. We're going to talk about him for 
three and a half, four years, right? He's going to be a top 40 guy. He's going to make the jump. He's going to be healthy. All the things you've mentioned. Hopefully this offseason is beneficial because, let's be honest, this is the worst offseason perhaps in college football history for everybody because there was little or no spring ball. There's been social distancing and isolation. It's going to be hard for everyone to be close to the normal, regular efficiency that they would have had had they had a regular offseason. But it's everybody in the same boat. So I'm interested to see how that affects the play on the field. Is it sloppy? Is it rusty for a while? Are people out of shape? Do they get hurt more easily because they're not as in, in as good a shape, perhaps? I'm not sure. Zach Wilson produced probably what he should have produced last year, given his injury status, 7-6. and six. If BYU and if Zach Wilson doesn't break his thumb against Toledo, like he breaks his thumb, they're they're going to lose the game probably anyway, right? Probably. Because he throws the interception and then he breaks, so they lose that game regardless. I do not think BYU would lose at USF based on who Zach Wilson is and what a gamer and what a competitor he is. Those do the- they beat Boise State though? Because there was a crazy sense of urgency, and all of a sudden Aaron Roderick is in the mix helping with the play calling. That changed the season. I don't know if they beat Boise State, yeah. but they beat USF, and I think they beat Hawaii if he's not dealing with a broken thumb. And I think that BYU's offense puts up more than three points against San Diego State, too. So maybe they don't beat Boise State, but I think they win those three other games. BYU's an eight- or nine-win team, and Zach Wilson's probably in this list. I think the Jaron Hall injury was as big or bigger because that affected the season as well. And then we'd be going into this offseason going, who's the guy? That would have been more fun, right? We're not really asking that question. Define fun. We're not re- <laughs> we have a whole summer of topics we've got to cover. <laughs> All right, let's get your opinions on the matter. Our question of the day. Zach Wilson left off the ESPN College Football QB tiers. Why or why isn't this fair for Zach and BYU football? Let's go to Voice of the Nation. This is the Voice of the Nation on BYU Sports Nation. First response in from at hcollier88 on Instagram. He shows flashes of brilliance, but is not consistent. Once Zach is consistent, then I can see him on that list. Consistency is overrated. Quality consistency is even better. Because I'm pretty consistently lazy at certain things. You know? I think what he's saying is consistently brilliant. Yes, yes. Um, we, You want that. Guess what? People are going to play well and they're not going to play well right and he is coming into his junior year now's when we can expect a little more out of him and uh hopefully all the BYU quarterbacks are healthy but shoot the BYU's three good ones let's go okay coming up best to wear at number 21 there are lots of number good number 21s and as BYU's president Kevin J. Worthen stated BYU is committed to making things better Dr. Derwin Gray a respected minister former BYU standout and NFL alum joins us next to help us understand what we can do. This is BYU Sports Nation. Do we? BYU Sports Nation is presented by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. On the latest voiceover with Greg and Chef, the guys visit with MLB great Dale Murphy. Get him in the Hall of Fame. Let's go. Watch this in every episode of VoiceOver with Greg and Shep on the BYU TV Sports social media platform. We are live in Studio B. This is your day-to-day BYU Sports play-by-play. Spencer Linton and Jerem Jordan here. We now welcome in BYU alum, former NFL safety, one of our favorites. He is now the lead pastor of the Transformation Church and an established author. Dr. Derwin Gray joins us on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. My friend, it's great to have you back on the program. Thank you. It's always good to be with you guys. We're really excited to talk with you today based on recent dramatic and tragic events that have been happening 
in our great country. And uh, Derwin, we're not going to pretend that we understand everything that's going on because here we are, two white men in Provo, Utah, uh, and certainly we are full of white privilege. But we want to know what we can do to make a change. And un- understanding what it's like to be a black man in America will help us do that. So what is life like being a black man in America right now? Yeah, so, so Ben, there, there's, there's a couple of things. What's happening in our nation is not new. And so there are incredible men and women in blue, police officers. But there's also been police br- brutality. Like, this is, this is not new. I don't, uh, in, in my new book, The Good Life, I have a chapter on peacemaking. And I open up with the story of Rodney King and police brutality in 1992. I'm 49 years old. I have never not known a time when there has not been conflict between African-American community and police officers. I do not know a time when the vestiges of racism has not been the air that we breathe in America. And so the conversation with Black Americans and specifically with Black Christians, uh, me as a pastor of a multi-ethnic church, like, this isn't a new conversation. People go, I can't believe this. And I go, why? Like, why can't you believe this? Like, you can't believe, like, how many more, like, it shouldn't take a video to believe what's been said for so long. Where there's smoke, um, there's fire. So the second thing that I would that I would say is this, and I am a spiritual man, so I believe that the enemy dark powers work. You being white does not make you not have the capacity for human compassion. I don't know what it's like to be transgender, but I know what it's like to be human. So therefore, any form of injustice and oppression means that I must act when the commonality that we all have is humanity. Jesus, the story of the Good Samaritan, was a Samaritan who would have been, the only thing he had in in, in the only thing he could relate to with the Jewish man bloodied and beaten were they were human beings. So you as a human being can relate to tragedy. Now, this is what I will say. Nothing happens in a vacuum, right? So I'm speaking now as a fellow, as a, as a follower of Jesus, as an evangelical, but also who has a great understanding of Mormon history. And there's a lot of interconnection that Mormonism itself, uh, as you deal with uh, uh, the Pearl of Great Price, and as you deal with why blacks couldn't hold the priesthood, and it wasn't until 1978 that um, there was a new revelation, and that got taken away. And I remember being in classes, Book of Mormon 1 and 2 and Pearl of Great Price with Brother Rotten, who would draw big circles, and I would say, no, my black skin is not a curse. And even in white evangelicalism, there has been so much, not only silence and indifference, but also apathy and many times support. And so the one silver lining of hope that I see is I have never seen as many of my white brothers and sisters go, oh, this is really, really real. So at the base level, you don't have to be black to have compassion. 
You don't have to be black to say, I'm a speak up. You don't have to be black to say, that's wrong. I want to help make it right. And this is the bottom line. The power structures of our culture only change when money is affected. I promise you this. If every black college football player in America said, we are not going to play college football until there is policing reform and injustice reform, it'll happen like that. Why? Because of money. It's certainly an influencer. It's certainly a powerful agent, right? And and tell me more about that because we're sitting here and we're, we go, absolute, racism is absolutely wrong, right? And we hope that everyone, white and otherwise, can feel feel that as well. What is the next step in that? Are, are are you saying is it is it donations uh, outside of like the change of the heart is a powerful effector right because it'll change your actions, but what yeah. what is the what is the next step now that we're seeing wow this is this is real we need to we as a culture need to change we as white people need to, need to change and be as helpful as possible what's the next step in your opinion? The next step is is collective repentance to say I'm sorry. Um, I was indifferent. I was apathetic. I chose not to listen. That's the first thing. Um, the second thing is that we have to move away from just, well, I'm not racist to I'm anti-racist mm. to I'm an advocate. Like we are literally brothers, right? Like, like if somebody did something to my physical br- br- brother, I would intervene. And so we have to begin to be, uh, as the Bible says, uh, my brother's keeper, like we should keep each other. And this is the question that I would that, that I would say that would move you to action and however you think. Think of how black men are treated in America that are not LeBron James and say, would I trade places with them? If your answer is no, then begin to create a society where you would say yes. Derwin, and that happens one heart at a time. Uh, that happens through being involved at every level. Derwin Gray is with us on BYU Sports Nation. Uh, given what has happened in the last few days, um, you know, and Jeremy and I sit here and, and we watch, and it just—it's really—it's unbelievable. It's sad. It's—it's it's just wild how divided the country is right now. Um, so we appreciate the insight that you're giving us into what we can do, um, but. When do you see this type of change happening? Like, what, what, what kind of a time frame do you think we're working with here? Well, let me say to this, violence begets violence, and violent protesting and rioting is hijacking the actual peaceful protesters. We, we, we had multiple people from Transformation Church protest peacefully, beautifully, uh, I'm praying with policemen who are part of our church. One of them got hit with a rock. He got knocked out. His lower jaw split open, stitches. And so the chief of police and I are friends. We we work through things and we try to help. Um, so I think that with the young people, if they can stay from a loving perspective and not just rage for rage search, there has to be loving strategic action. So begin with this. How are the systems and structure in place that oppress people? So for example, as an NFL player, 
The NFL is talking about incentivizing how black men can become coaches. Are you serious? How is Eric Bieniemy not a head head coach? Eric Bieniemy, a guy that I played against. Eric Bieniemy, who who helps call plays for the Super Bowl winning Kansas City Chiefs, is not a head coach. Like we got guys who are special teams coaches who are now head coaches of the New York Giants. Are you kidding me? When 70% of the NFL is African American, you're telling me that some of those guys can't translate their skills into leading? When I played for the Colts, basically the whole staff had been together at the University of Missouri. It is human nature to say, I want people who look like me, who think like me, and act like me. But the reality is, is that leaves you in an echo chamber of ignorance. Derwin, I, w- I want to bring it uh, home to us as well because BYU is 99% white, right? And hopefully mm-hmm. that number lowers over time. Uh, but what is it that we can do to be supportive and understanding here at BYU with the black community, uh, many of which come here to participate as athletes? Yeah. So um, what I would say is this, is I think there has to be honest and real conversation beginning with repentance, beginning with I want to learn. But here's the burden and weight that I feel because I've been writing and I've been doing this for two decades now. And it's a double burden. Not only do I have to tell you what to do, give you books to read, write books for you, but then I have to exist in a culture that was set up for me not to win. That's a heavy burden, man. That is a, that is a, my, my phone is blowing up and I'm going, guys, I wrote a book about it. Read the book. I wrote another book about it. Matter of fact, my new book launched today. Today I should be celebrating the release of my brand new book, but instead my heart is heavy, but in the book, I've written solutions to the problem. So if y'all want to help immediately, help promote my book, The Good Life, what Jesus teaches about finding true happiness. You can go to thegoodlifebook.net, and I've got resources, particularly blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons and daughters of God. How can we make peace, not just be on the sidelines, but be actively making peace across cultural lines, um, across social status lines, but also to say, I really want a country where the ground is level for everyone. There are a few people that love BYU and Provo as much as you do, and that much is evident whenever you come back and you speak with the team and you speak with community members. Um, How would you explain your time at BYU and uh, compare it to what a black athlete is going through right now at BYU? Yeah, you, you know, um, there were times in Book of Mormon class, and one time uh, we were talking about the curse of Cain, which is an older Mormon theology that a lot of older Mormon prophets discuss that blacks were born on earth because in the spirit war in heaven, um, they didn't fight, so they came out as black. And so I wasn't even a Christian, and I stood up and I walked out of the class. And so I actually met with that professor and uh, we had a really, really good conversation. Um, so that was that was tense. When my wife and I started to date a Mormon football player on the BYU team, whom I will not mention, 
told her, well, you know that that's not right. And if you know anything about my wife, uh, she might have beat him up. Uh, so, but also <laughs> there was a time at practice, and I'll leave the players unnamed. There was a time at practice, there was a black player and a white player arguing, and the white player called him the N-word. And so basically you had like all eight of us black dudes on one side, and then you had a bunch of white dudes on the other side. And I'm not sure if the Polynesians knew what side to join, uh, but that was that was rough. Like coach, as a leader of the team, as a leader of the team, Coach Edwards called me into the office like, man, uh, like what can we do? Um, and at that point, I was I was ill-equipped. And um, but those are conversations that we have to have and to really seek and to search into human hearts. Um, white white supremacy is not just putting on uh, a cape and burning a cross. White supremacy is an inherent belief that I am better than. And the reality is, if we are people of faith, each and every human being is made in the image and likeness of God. And then here's the reality, is that the majority, the overwhelming majority of Christians in the world are people of color. Did you guys know that by by 2050, the average evangelical will be one in one in three will be a Nigerian woman. Wow. So so if you don't like people of color, then you're probably not going to experience eternal life because it's going to be very colorful. And that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, absolutely. A few things as we close up. One, congratulations on the release of your new book. Let us do our part, and uh, we're grateful that you have a platform to promote that, and uh, we're excited to read that. Um, Secondly, uh, we appreciate you helping us understand what we can do to be better people, uh, to be better children of God. And uh, we respect you, we admire you, and we're always grateful to talk to you. So thanks so much for taking time with us. Yeah, and let me finish with this. Uh, I love BYU. I am out here in Charlotte recruiting as hard as I can because I believe that it is a great place to get an education and to have a transformative experience. My capacity to do what I'm doing today, the foundation was laid at BYU. And I just want my brothers and sisters to know that I love them and that I need them to not just be, well, I'm not racist, but to say, how do we become anti-racist? I love you guys. Thank y'all so much. Appreciate it. Derwin Gray on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Deseret First, you know why we show how. We've talked a lot about how we can address what's going on. And there was one name that came to mind, and it was Derwin Gray, to talk to him. And he just told some very real experiences, um, some uncomfortable yeah. experiences typically in we class. Want, we want to dance around those, right? On the field, right. I'm glad that we did that. And there are certain ideologies and theologies that the church has addressed and said, those are wrong. Those are wrong. And uh, I'm, I'm happy for that. And I've learned a lot from that. It's not just, I'm not a racist. It's, what, what can, I, can I be anti? How do we, yes. how do we become yes. anti? I'm not this, but what are you? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That was great. I learned a lot. And I love that he shared the, uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan. I think that's a perfect example, yeah, that's a good example. of what's happening right yeah. now. Okay. Coming up, is Mark Pope here for the long haul at BYU? One national writer thinks so. He will tell us why. And for Top 5 Tuesday, it's time to get swaggy. Number 21. This is BYU Sports Nation. 
Listen to BYU Sports Nation on demand. You can download the podcast by Googling BYU Sports Nation podcast and subscribe, rate, and review. If you didn't hear the interview we just had with Dr. Derwin Gray, you're going to want to. A perfect reason to subscribe, rate, review, and download that podcast. That takes us to the best to wear it. Who is the best athlete to wear each number at BYU? We're counting up to number 99 and lands squarely on 21 today. Listen, listen there was some great 21s. Uh, Rick Aguilera, two-time World Series champ. Russell Larson, Lexi Rydalch, Tim McTire. But the greatest number 21 at BYU was Jamal Williams. He's the all-time leading rusher. The all-time leading rusher, the J-Swag Daddy. We love Jamal. Uh, ends up with 3,901 yards, 5.4 yards per carry. 35 touchdowns, third in school history. Of course, you're seeing this rush from the Toledo game, a school record, 286 rushing yards. He tied the school record, five rushing TDs in that game. Most 100-yard rushing games in BYU history, 16th. He's now in his fourth season with the Packers, one of our favorite people, and he has called us his uh, some of his middle-aged uh, vanilla men. We love him. <laughs> we love Jamal. Yes, we do. Uh, just watch his senior season highlights. I-, I watched probably four or five different highlight videos of Jamal yesterday as we were thinking about him. And it just makes us like you and I have a massive smile right now. <laughs> just thinking about him. He ran so hard. He ran so hard every time. He never lost yards. Fumbled once. Incredible. And, and it was, yeah, he fumbled once his whole career. Incredible yeah. stuff. And he has the most carries in BYU history with it. One fumble lost. That's unbelievable. I'm glad we got the honorable mentions in there as yeah. well. Yeah, oh, unbelievable. Lexi so, Rydouch was amazing. She's the all-time leading scorer in uh, West Coast Conference women's basketball history. Yes, and uh, yeah. I, Not I, just, I, yeah. I mean, so many good number 21s. This one was hard. Trust me, we're going to get some other numbers. It's like, it's a little dry. <laughs> okay, coming up, top five Tuesday. More of Jamal Williams, his greatest runs. And... Brian Bennett of The Athletic joins us. He's got BYU in his mid-major top 10, but where and why after they lost so much production? This is BYU Sports Nation. BYU Sports Nation is presented by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. On the latest BYU Sports Nation right now, you voted and the winners of the BYU Center Right Now awards are unveiled. Watch it on the BYU TV Sports social media platform. Welcome back to the show. Alongside Jerem Jordan, I'm Spencer Linton. We now welcome in a man who spent nine years writing for ESPN and is now a college basketball writer for The Athletic. His name is Brian Bennett. He joins us on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Brian, great to have you with us, and welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Okay, Brian, what most people don't know is that you have a backdrop that features Mark Pope. You were both undergrads at the University of Kentucky. So take us back to your Kentucky days. What was your first impression of Mark Pope when he was playing for the Wildcats? Well, he was uh, kind of known as, a, as the, the really clean-cut guy on the team. Uh, I remember that uh, Rick Pitino telling stories about you know, he was the only one on the team who didn't curse. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Patino was a noted cursor. So it was, uh, there was some funny butting head stories on that. Um, but then, you know, the, you started to learn more about what a great student he was. And um, when I was writing the student paper, I did a feature story on him, um, just kind of how he balanced academics and, and basketball and spent, spent a day around him uh, following around. Just a, just a you know, really focused, uh, outstanding guy who uh, just had all his priorities in order and uh, and was just uh, was always really really friendly even to the media. So uh, he was he was a favorite around here for sure. 
After his career, he pursues uh, medicine, but then he drops out to coach. Did you get a sense that this dude was going to do something great, whether it be as a doctor or a coach at some point that early? Yeah, I, I knew he was going to be a high achiever. I, I, I wasn't sure he was going to be a coach just because, as you said, he had so many options. You know, I think he was inclined to be a Rhodes Scholar when he was at Kentucky, and, uh, and clearly he could have been successful in just about any field. But, you know, it's, it's interesting. A lot of those guys who played for Patino in the 90s are coaches now, and uh, there's something about uh, that time, I think, that has uh, inspired a lot, of, a lot of people to get in the coaching profession. And, uh, and what he's done in a short, short period of time as a head coach is really impressive. Brian Bennett, college basketball writer for The Athletic with us on BYU Sports Nation. And now one of those Patino guys, Mark Pope, is at BYU. And uh, coming off of a season where he had the Cougars pacing for potentially something special. Now you have BYU number 10 in your mid-major power rankings as we take an early look at next season. Why are you still high on the Cougars in spite of them losing so much production? Yeah, they do lose a ton of production, obviously, with Yelly Childs and TJ Halls and Jake Toulson all, all gone. Um, I, I do think that, you know, getting Matt Harms from Purdue uh, was, was quite a coup. You know, Texas Tech and, and Kentucky were both uh, in hot pursuit of him, as well as well, a lot of other schools, but those were his finalists. Uh, and I don't think he's going to come in and be a superstar, but he's seven foot three, um, great rim protector. Uh, can shoot from the outside. I think that's a, a really good place to start. I think he'll be, uh, you know, a dominant type of center uh, in the WCC. Uh, and, I, you know, I think there's some other players who will step forward. Uh, and, I, and I'm still kind of counting on them landing at least one grad transfer at guard. Um, you know, if that doesn't happen, then maybe I would bump them out of the, the top 10, especially if, you know, some other teams maybe do make some additions. Uh, let's remember it is early June, uh, and there will be a lot of changeover and roster moves and everything. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of believing in the system and the culture and uh, and the fact that I think that they've got a, a pretty good base uh, of talent to work with. Isn't it interesting? Because a lot of people say, ah, it takes time to build a program. I would submit that perhaps it does not um, in the long run. But Mark Pope comes in from UVU. They never made the NCAA tournament, but they were building. And then in one year, he has this excellent group. He's able to get them to coalesce. He's able to get a few pieces back and and bang BYU's in the top 20 right I don't think we expect that this year but what do you expect this next year as BYU tries to continue the momentum yeah I'm not sure if there'll be a top 25 type team um certainly last year I mean it was pretty spectacular I believe they finished 13th in Kempom um I really thought that was a team that had a shot of maybe even crashing the final four you know if they got the right kind of draw uh had some great shooting um but you know obviously he, he comes into a great situation uh, where you've got Yoli Childs, and granted he missed the first what, third of the season, but a uh, spectacular player, and he, and he gets Jake Toulson to come follow him. Uh, so this is going to be, uh, you know, a, a, certainly a different kind of year for him. Uh, it's a little bit of rebuilding, um, but I think he, he established a lot in that first year. Uh, I like the way they play, their style of play on offense, I think is, is a successful one. And I think they're set up for, uh, you know, to do some good things. And you've seen, you know, even with the guys who haven't, uh, you know, decided to come like Mac McClung. BYU's been included in our list, and I feel like the, the profile of the program has been raised. Brian Bennett with us on BYU Sports Nation, college basketball writer for The Athletic. From a national standpoint and perception, what does landing Matt Harms do for BYU basketball and Mark Pope? Yeah, I think uh, because of who they were competing against. And you're talking about, you know, his finalists were Kentucky and Texas Tech, you know, a team that just – played in the national title game in the last NCAA tournament and great coach and Chris Beard uh, for them to get uh, harms over those two programs. You just don't see that a lot uh, where a guy will choose, you know, a team that's in a, a mid-major conference uh, over a two power 
uh, league schools like that. So that uh, I think that uh, surprised a lot of people, uh, and I think it uh, turned heads a little bit. Um, it's, it's a good fit, I think, for, for Matt Harms and what he wants to do, uh, especially offensively uh, in that system. And uh, I think uh, it's a it's a pretty big deal. We'll see how he plays this year. Um, you know, like I said, I don't think he's a superstar but he is a, is a really solid player. Yeah, hard not to wonder what the perception of BYU basketball would be if the Cougars were able to land another high-profile recruit that ended up at Texas Tech. <laughs> yeah, and, and BYU is still going after that. We anticipate a, and talked to Cody Figure, one of the assist coaches yesterday. They're still going after one to two transfers. And I want to get your comment on that. Uh, uh, the game is certainly different in 2020 with the amount of transfers. Mark Pope himself was a transfer to Kentucky, right? Chris Burgess from Duke to Utah on the staff as well. That's just a huge part of the game, and uh, Mark Pope has shown that he can get a lot of these guys, and they have an impact, uh, and that's cross-college basketball, Brian. Yeah, it's part of, part of what you have to do now as a coach. You have to work basically the waiver wire, um, and there are some coaches who are really, really good at that. Uh, it's not just recruiting anymore. And the fact that you can get a transfer sometimes who's a junior or a senior, uh, that automatically adds some experience, uh, some maturity to your team. And obviously, BYU is, that's something BYU has uh, excelled at uh, with some older players. Um, and to get those older players who have already been in the system, kind of already already know the, uh, the ins and outs of college basketball is pretty big. And, and it's amazing that it just never seems to stop. I mean, we keep getting new guys in the, in the portal you know, the kid from Florida just last week that kind of opened everybody's eyes, Matt McClung, we mentioned just a couple of weeks ago. So, I mean, who knows? People could be transferring all the way into the summer, and it's obviously a very weird offseason, and and uh, who knows what the NCAA is going to do with the waivers. But uh, I, I kind of feel for these coaches because it is, uh, it's got to be really hard to put a roster together and keep it together. Are you in favor of the idea with the waiver of just a one-time you can transfer and uh, without penalty play right away? I am. I, I know a lot of coaches hate it, especially at the mid-major level. They feel like, um, you know, their players will come in and uh, have one good year and, and then go to a power league. But I do think it works in the opposite direction as well. Some some guys transferring down. But I think ultimately it's just hard to make the argument about why a student couldn't do that. Every other student uh, on campus can do that. Pretty much every other athlete other than men's basketball and football can do it. Coaches can leave. ADs can leave. I just don't understand what the, what the rationale is uh, for saying a student has to leave. Uh, student, excuse me, a men's basketball player uh, has to sit out a year. Uh, and granted, I, I'd like to see more guys stick it out a little bit and battle adversity. I think that's a good uh, learning experience. Um, but it, it kind of is what it is <laughs> at this point. Uh, and there's no reason to, to penalize them, um, especially when you've already got a lot of restrictions on their earning potential. Now, speaking of waiver wires and coaches being able to leave, BYU fans, because of the success of Mark Pope, are already worried about him potentially leaving. Like if he continues to coach at this level, uh, how are we going to keep him in Provo? What What do you think is the key to keeping a guy like Mark Pope in Provo when Power Five programs are surely to come calling for such a hot prospect? Well, obviously, uh, you've got to be competitive with salary. Uh, you got to be competitive with facilities, and, and you know, hopefully, um, be competitive in the West Coast Conference, and that continues to. Uh, you know, it got stronger, I thought, in the last two years uh, than it had been. Uh, it's not uh, just a one-bid league anymore. You know, could have, probably would have had three this year. Um, you know, the other thing is I think you've got to look at fit, right? I mean, Mark Pope's a great fit at BYU, you know, for a lot of obvious reasons. Um, and, and obviously, he, I think he's very, very comfortable there. His family is comfortable there. You know, if a Kentucky or a Kansas or somebody like that comes calling, of course you've got to look at it. Uh, but you also got to think about your own happiness and where you fit best. 
Uh, and I, I don't think there's a better program in all of America that's better fit for Mark Pope. So you never know. I, I, you know, coaches leave all the time. But uh, I think uh, when you look at terms of coaching and fit, um, Mark Pope seems to be a guy who could stick around for a while. I hope he's here forever and retires here. That's not going to be the case. It's just no one stays that long anymore. You know what I mean? I think at the very end, at some point, he really wants Kentucky. I just, I just feel it that, that he would want that opportunity down the line. It's early in his coaching career, but I, I think that'd be an amazing fit at some point in the future. What do you think of that? It's quite possible, and you know who knows when that's going to come open. You know, John Calipari's in, in his early 60s, um, so you know, he, he does have a 10-year contract. I believe he's in the second year of that, maybe. Uh, but oh, who knows contracts when come can up. be broken, Brian. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a holiday, day and, and who knows if that comes open, you know, someplace on the West Coast, you know, Washington, where he's from. If that were to come open, or in Arizona, or something like that, and even the NBA, I think he, you know, he spent some time in the pros. Um, I think he understands the pro game. Uh, that might be something that appeals to him. So you can never say for sure, and you probably don't want to stick around too long. Sometimes because things can get a little stale, and people do get tired of recruiting. <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, like I said, I doubt there's a better fit out there for him uh, right now. But it's just a matter of what's in his heart. Uh, when some of those opportunities come along. May I be so brash to speak for all BYU fans when I say here's to a long, storied career in Provo for Mark Pope. It's, an, it's a nice idea. It's 2020. <laughs> Brian, it's great to talk with you. Uh, we appreciate uh, what you're putting out there about BYU basketball. Um, and for those that are wondering how they can read more of your content, how do they find that? Sure. Uh, go to theathletic.com and uh, the college basketball section. I, I cover a lot of the mid-majors as well as you know, national uh, college basketball and recruiting and all kinds of different stuff. And I'm on Twitter at G Brian Bennett. Brian, thanks for the time. Great to talk with you. Hey, thanks for having me guys. Brian Bennett on the Deseret first credit union hotline. Deseret first, you know why we show how I'm serious. Like in 2020, it's just different. You don't have the Lavelle Edwards. That's here forever. You know what I mean? It's just different. Mike Krzyzewski's are few and far between. Right. When did he start? Right, that the starting point matters, and how old you are matters. Right, I want Mark to be here forever. I'm just saying, let's be honest, it ain't gonna happen. Like if he's really, really good, he's gonna jump at some point. And he because he's a BYU coach, but he's not a BYU guy. Does that make sense? He didn't go to school here, so he he has other networks that exist. So I hope he's here forever, but I don't expect that at all. He's hopefully he has an amazing career. All right. We roll on. Mark, if you're listening, stay as long as you like. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Keep winning, and then you'll be offered an amazing contract. Coming up, today's Rise and Shut Up. And a top five Tuesday with some extra swag. This is BYU Sports Nation. This segment of BYU Sports Nation, presented by Delta Airlines. Keep climbing. This is BYU Sports Nation, and this show is available anytime on demand via the BYU TV and BYU Radio apps. And you can download the podcast. Just Google BYU Sports Nation podcast. Bring on Top 5 Tuesday, presented by Delta. Keep climbing. Today we feature Jamal Williams after being named the best to ever wear number 21. We already showed you his Top 5 games a few weeks back. Now we do his Top 5 plays at BYU. Number 5, 2016, Mississippi State. He sets the all-time rushing record with this 9-yard run in the first of two overtimes, passing Harvey Unga to become the all-time leading rusher. BYU wins this game in double OT. Number four, regular season finale in 2013. BYU was held scoreless in the first half against Nevada. Then Jamal happens. 66 yards to the house. 
Open up the BYU second half onslaught. BYU beat the Wolfpack 28-23. Jamal finished the game with 219 yards at the tail end of his sophomore season. 2013, Idaho State. This is the longest rush of Jamal Williams' career. 70 yards for the score. If you notice, he's looking up at the south end zone video boards to see if anyone is remotely close. Spoiler alert, they were not. He had three touchdowns, 131 rushing yards that day. Live on BYU TV. That's the most important part. Number two carries extra sentiment. Jamal Williams' final TD run as a BYU Cougar. 2016 Poinsettia Bowl against Wyoming. 34 yards. How about the blocks from Jonah Trineman? This provided the game-winning score to make BYU the forever Poinsettia champs. 210 rushing yards to boot. A fitting end to an unforgettable BYU career. Good luck surpassing his numbers that he leaves in the record books. And the number one play in Jamal Williams' BYU career is a 62-yard TD run against Toledo. Part of his 286-yard, five-touchdown rushing night. School going records. Head-to-head with Kareem Hunt. That was a crazy night. There are about 10 other runs we could have put in the top five as well. Well done, Jamal Williams. Our question of the day about a quarterback, Zach Wilson, who was left out the ESPN College Football Quarterback tiers. Why or why isn't this fair for Zach and BYU? Our elite voice of the day presented by Sundance Mountain Resort at G Hanson 25 answers on Twitter. It's fair because he was injured and missed about half of last season. If he plays the majority of this season, then he could give an argument to be there. Yeah, I think he's got a real shot. Okay, today's rising shout-outs. Uh, Derwin Gray, the doctor. Uh, fantastic stuff about racism and what we can do now, not just about, hey, I'm not a racist, but being anti-racism, taking that next step. Passionate, full of compassion, super beneficial. Download the podcast if you haven't heard it. My rise and shout-out goes to our friend Adam Amin, who is making the jump from ESPN to Fox Sports. He will become one of the primary play-by-play voices for the NFL, Major League Baseball, and one of the primary voices for the Chicago Bulls. He's the TV play-by-play. It's outstanding. Yeah. Well-deserved. He's one of the best guys. That's awesome, man. Our thanks to today's guest, Derwin Gray and Brian Bennett of The Athletic. Sorry to Dennis Pitta. Ran out of time. The conversation continues 24-7 on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Use the hashtag BYUSN. For Jerem Jordan, I am Spencer Linton. Shout out to Irvin Lee. We'll see you tomorrow on BYU Sports Nation. And, yes, we're still smiling because of all of those Jamal Williams plays. Oh, I'm thinking about Irvin Lee and Dewey Gray and beating Miami now. A lot of great memories, man. Go. And go Kooks. Hi, Derek.